Hello and uh, good morning. I'm going to assume that you've started your day off with the Secret Lives of Leaders podcast and an excellent choice by you, madam or sir. This week we have the very cool, very interesting, very witty and unbelievably successful Sarah Wood, who apart from um, you know being a successful entrepreneur is an absolutely fantastic speaker and lecturer at Cambridge University on um, a particularly unusual topic called um, lolitics and memes. Um, I think this has got a longer, a slightly longer title than that, but I won't ruin the uh, the interesting part in the interview where she talks about it. I will leave that to you to find during the uh, the conversation. Now, Sarah is the co-founder of Unruly. And Unruly's mission is to get videos seen, shared, and loved across the open web for brands that want to move people, not just reach people. If you think that sounds a little bit cosmetic, it's because I read it straight off the internet, but I also have a photographic memory, which enabled me to remember the exact words Sarah said to me at the time, of course. Now, Sarah is famous for a lot of things, but mostly her personality and her attitude. She is famously energetic. Every single person that's ever come into contact with Sarah comments on exactly this. Now, the story of how Unruly got going is something um, truly inspiring. It, um, like anything, really came out of um, one of those late-night idea sessions. And she's another person that works with her husband. So she has um, a crazy schedule, gets asked the same kind of questions over and over again. And obviously, I tried to do my best to make the uh, the interview slightly different for her, so she wasn't too bored. So I hope that I managed to fulfill that promise. Rich, have you got any wise words for us before we launch into today's episodes? No wise words, but I've just seen that we have uh, had 200 downloads from Japan. Fantastic. So, small in Japan. We are, well, growing. But um, to our, all our Japanese fans, uh, konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. And indeed. enjoy the episode. And Kirinichiban to you too. From Runway East Studios in London, welcome to the Secret Lives of Leaders. Today we're joined by one of the best known and certainly most liked entrepreneurs in the UK, Sarah Wood from Unruly. The TLDR on Sarah is that she went to University of Cambridge, then became a lecturer at the University of Sussex, and then she co-founded Unruly, sold it for £114 to Rupert Murdoch's News Corps a few years later, and now teaches a course back at Cambridge whilst maintaining a role as CEO of the company she helped build. Now that you have all the info you need on her... You are, of course, free to stop listening and carry on with your life. But then again, if you do that, you won't get to enjoy finding out what Unruly does, how Cambridge University responded to her suggested classroom title that she teaches, which is entitled Mashups, Memes and Lolitics, an online video culture and a screen media revolution. So we suggest you stick around. Sarah, thanks very much for coming in and welcome. Thanks very much for having me, Daniel. My pleasure. Did I get all of the intro right? You got it all right. Yeah? Okay, because usually what happens is... We mentioned some of the key facts that make obviously entrepreneurs squirm, like numbers, and they're like, mm, it was reported at that much, but never disclosed. <laughs> but yeah, I found it in loads of sources, so I figured that was kind of like the number people were comfortable with. Um, I've had to do some serious snooping for other people, though. So, um, Okay, we want to start off just by warming you up with a quick fire round, if you're okay with that. So we get some very quick, sound-bitey insight into Sarah's. So, university lecturer or entrepreneur? Entrepreneur. Why? 
Um, uh, because at the moment I'm an entrepreneur who can also dabble at being a university lecturer. Oh, okay, so you get best of both worlds. Yeah, exactly. and you know that you, well, you obviously can't be an entrepreneur the other way around. Makes sense. Okay, mobile or desktop? Mobile. And is that for personal use or business? Both. Yeah, okay. And in fact, this is one of the things that I think um, in the advertising industry we should see more of. Uh, I think there's still a little bit of a tendency in our industry to be creating on desktop. Yeah, there people is. who are consuming on mobile. Yep. So yeah, I'm a big fan of doing as much as I can, checking documents, checking papers right here on the phone. Interesting. Yeah, I think, um, I, you know, not to dwell, dwell too much into this, but that comes down to a general mentality on how creative, or how it's almost like an easel, right? Uh, a, t- a screen is much, so much bigger on a desktop and you feel a bit more creative going around that. But I do get where you're coming from. Um, okay, you can only have one of these for the rest of your life. Movies or music, which is it? Movies because they have soundtracks. Oh, okay. I can see how this is going. You've always got a logical answer for beating the system. Oh, sorry. Uh, literature or video? I feel like it's video because they'll always have literature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A video of somebody reading a book. And, yeah. And there's layers of media within media. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Cats or dogs? Oh, cats. Good call. And just so everyone knows, uh, Sarah's wearing an unruly Nyan Cat t shirt today. So. Looking very stylish. Uh, Facebook or YouTube? YouTube. Co-founder or do it alone? Uh, co-founder every time, as long as you've got the right people. Fair enough. Um, a film you love that you think all our listeners should watch? I don't think there's any film that all your listeners should watch. Sure. A film that you love? I would say a film that I love. Um, I love I love watching films with my kids. So uh, that would be things like um, Bugsy Malone is a okay. big favourite. Uh, Grown Ups is another big favourite. Very funny. Uh, it is very funny, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it? And a serious message. Uh, you know, families can spend too much time on their tech, Wise. at their works, and they need, they need to come okay, back and so, be together. <laughs> so do you spend most of your time when you watch films, watching it with your kids, and therefore your mindset is all yeah. like, what is a film that an adult can tolerate that children will enjoy? The first question I ask when I look at any film is, what is the rating? <laughs> Is it a you? Because my youngest is still seven. Right, okay. Uh, and it's, it's the hardest thing of all to find a family movie. We have family movie nights on yeah. Friday nights. Yeah. Um, and there are, I've got a, um, a 16 year old, 12 year old, and a seven year old. And then two grown ups. Uh, and believe me, it's challenging to find something that no, is suitable for everybody and enjoyed by all. Well, all the Pixar films, but there's only so often that you can watch them. That's right. And, Actually, and, I'm, and I'm a big fan of Star Wars, but strangely, the kids aren't so keen. So oh, there's really? a, there's a, there are a few films that you might think would work. But, but you must wonder if they're really your children then. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at them and be like, oh, I don't remember having you actually now that, it, now that we think about it. Um, okay, an entrepreneur that you admire? Ah, oh, so many. Um, Martha Lane Fox. Mm. Um, not just because of the business that she built um, back in the 90s, but because of everything that she's done um, since then and for her Dot Everyone project, which I think is one of the most important digital projects happening here in the UK today. Do you think she's arguably the most inspirational female entrepreneur in the UK? Most inspirational, most influential, uh, and someone that I massively, massively admire. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, any other city in the world or London to grow a company? It's got to be London, every time. I mean, I agree, but, you know, there's all the San Francisco and New York chat, so just curious. We, so we, um, I remember when we opened in San Francisco, and we have quite a few offices globally, uh, and I've always got a real buzz from being in San Francisco um, and enjoyed it. 
But there's something about London. Everything is so close together. Yeah. I think that's what I love about it. Because I love walking. Yeah. I, I can walk from place to place. You can walk from banking centre in the city to Tech City, just a few feet away. Uh, zip across to Houses of Parliament or 10 Downing Street. Uh, there's just everything that you could need within kind of three or four square miles, uh, which I love. But at the same time, it doesn't feel claustrophobic because there's no. such a diversity of people and styles. And it's the greenest city in the world. Yes, yes As a is. fact, which is my yeah. favourite fact about London, because like, you do only really notice it when you go to other cities, to other cities. or like New York, and you're yeah. like, you guys have one park. Yeah. That's kind of nuts. And it's really square. Yeah, right? very square. Um, anyway, we're not here to slag off New York, obviously, but San Francisco would potentially be a second choice then um second choice could be san francisco um i like berlin as well oh yeah it's my favorite yeah, it's got a great vibe uh, when yeah. we opened, opened very green. in germany uh, we opened in berlin mm. um and that was partly because we love the city yeah. uh, very not, not dissimilar to how tech city was here five six years ago no, i agree absolutely love it okay thank you for playing so we'll get on to the fun part can you tell us what unruly is in your own words mm. Uh, so uh, Unruly is a video ad technology platform. Uh, we work with over 90% of top 100 brands now and we help them to get their videos watched, shared, loved online. It's a massive stat, 90 out of the top 100, mm. so 90% in other, in other words, yeah. but that's crazy. So how did you build up that kind of traction with such premium brands? Mm. So I think there are many um, ways in which Unruly stands out and is unique. Um, but probably the one that has grown and become increasingly important over the last decade is the emotional intelligence that we bring to advertising. So we say we, we, don't, we don't help brands reach people, we help brands move people. Uh, and the way that we do that is by bringing emotional intelligence to digital advertising at every point in the process. So we help brands understand which videos um, which ads are moving consumers around the world right now and why and which emotions are trending is it a big moment for nostalgia or humor and how do how do australians respond to so how do you do that do you track sentiment analysis on twitter as your prime um so we have we have panels and we test videos so oh, I see. Okay. We, we actually take specific videos get intel on each of those videos we have eye tracking facial tracking um, and then panel responses as well. So we can see which markets over-index or under-index for specific uh, emotional responses and Interesting. how ads perform. So is it like a testing lab almost pre... So it's like a really good process to work with Unruly before, for example, you'd ever launch a TV campaign. It's, you work with Unruly to test all your market analysis, plus obviously get reach and distribution, but then you know you're kind of going to lean towards the right response on TV. Absolutely. Again, um, a lot of sense. People use us before they've even opened up the camera before they've even thought about what they're going to do. They mm. use us to think about what emotions are going to resonate with their audience, which social motivations will resonate with their audience, to have a better understanding of what moves their audience. What moves their audience to act, to buy, to laugh, to cry, to share, depends on what the KPI is for that campaign. Right. And then we get that video seen across our platform in polite ad formats. Uh, so we don't run forced pre-roll, um, we're outstream and skippable pre-roll and in-page. Uh, which means you won't be forced to watch an unruly ad. Because that would obviously trigger an annoying emotion already and would skew absolutely, the data. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Because okay. as, soon as, someone's, uh, as soon as someone's forced to watch an ad, they're put off the brand, mm. they feel pissed off. Uh, yeah, that's not the way that good advertising should work. And it's not the way that good advertising does work. No, true. But then just, sorry to get stuck into this, but then um, presumably a lot of it comes down to sponsored content. Is that correct? As in like very native format content that sits within 
articles or how does it work in a and I'm obviously thinking mm. about it from a sense of knowing that News Corp bought you and News Corp do a lot of pre-roll and a lot mm. of that kind of advertising or at least in my mind when I go on those sites I feel like there's quite a lot of it so then how does uh how do how do your ad formats work you know in a specific sense so as a yeah. consumer how do I engage with it or is it more like on YouTube a pre-roll so it may be within an article, it may be um, in streams, which you're scrolling down an article, it comes up and starts playing on silent, and if you like it, you can Right, tap. okay, so contextual. Like, yeah. Makes sense. And it's a very global business, right? So how many employees do you have in how many countries, or what countries? So we have 300 employees across 20 different countries. Um, and there's a lot of countries and it, so we it's it's absolutely true um, but it's important for us to be in the markets where our clients are mm. um, we are very much driven by the quality of our product and the quality of our service uh, so we have our three values um, that are super important to us and share them of course uh, please <laughs> inspire change share the love deliver wow and, nice. and, and deliver wow is all about making sure that we do the very best that we can for our clients, for each other, mm. exceed each other's expectations. And for the audience. And for the audience, helping create better ads. Yeah, we really want to transform advertising for the mm. better by helping brands create better ads and then distributing them in a polite, non-invasive way. Uh, but if we're going to do that and deliver, for our, deliver wow for our clients, we do need people on the ground who can be there in time zone so our dev team is based here in london and this is our hq right and we have um, small operating teams in lots of other different countries sydney hamburg uh, hamburg's a big office for us um, any particular reason hamburg's a big office when you started off in berlin uh we started in berlin but then we acquired um one of our competitors in germany back in 2013 uh, and they were based in hamburg right, okay and at that point we realized that all the customers or many of the customers were also based in hamburg sure. uh, so we moved operations to hamburg okay that makes sense and so when did when did the company start uh, 2006. Okay, so 2006, and did you actually plan to exit? What was your original plan? So you sit there with your business plan, and lots of different people shape the story, like the original story, a very different way, which is, you know, this is what we actually set out to do, this is what we didn't. What was that kind of starting moment for you? Like, how did that feel, and did you think, right, this is what we're going to build, and why, and this is what makes it attractive? So the three of us, myself, Scott and Matt, um, we were very committed to building a business um, that took advantage of the social web. And this was a really exciting moment to be an entrepreneur uh, mm. because culture was just being redefined and rewritten um, because suddenly you weren't just turning to the internet to find out information. You could share content, upload content, comment on content. Um, Reddit was just kicking off. There was Dig, mm. there was Delicious. The whole kind of what was sometimes known as read write, read, write web sometimes known as Web 2.0, sometimes known as Social Web. I was just getting started. It was a really exciting wave. Uh, we felt I'm glad Web 2.0 never really caught yeah. <laughs> That's the worst of all of them. That's the worst of all of them. Uh, we felt it was. Well, I'm still looking for Web 3.0. Yeah. <laughs> That's never going to be a thing. Um, but we really didn't know what we wanted to do beyond that, other than that we wanted to do something, be part of this big cultural movement and just see where it took us. At the same time, we were very ambitious and we wanted to do something big. Mm. Uh, and I think that's often the challenge when you're an entrepreneur is managing the big ambition and the, what's the next small step I need to take. So we wanted to build a billion dollar business. You did? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And we, and we, 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 yeah, we We've got on record as saying that um, from very early days, mm. we wanted to build a billion dollar business. And was it a surprise to you that News Corp came to you to purchase, that they were the interested party? Like, how did the whole relationship come about? Were there loads of other people that you were talking to? Were you 
like looking for it or were you just sort of sitting back and obviously when you're a big exciting company like yourself people come to you but can you give us some insight into what happened well I can say we we were not sitting back <laughs> we, were, we were like running around working our asses off sure. and doing what we love to do yes. uh, which is growing the company opening but not up looking offices. for suitors necessarily <laughs> no yeah no. I mean we were we were really enjoying it and we, we still are um yeah. we we believe that we're having a positive impact on advertising and um, we believe that we have a positive impact uh, on work culture, business culture. We have a fantastic team, very diverse team. It's a very empowering, creative environment and we love being part of that. So mm. we weren't looking to change anything. Um, and we had had several people come talk to us, um, many companies that we admire, but it didn't feel like the right fit. It didn't. And were they agencies mostly? Yeah, I would have thought so. What I can say is um, that we couldn't really see how it would be beneficial in the long term to the business and the culture um, to enter into those discussions. Um, But then uh, Rebecca, uh, Rebecca is the CEO of News UK, uh, came came to visit our Future Video Lab one day, uh, which in itself wasn't unusual because we work with most big publishers. Yeah. Uh, They're our partners. So that in itself wasn't surprising. Um, So there was a pre-existing business relationship anyway. Where they're a client. So they were, we were talking to them about running our placements, yes. Mm. Um, and then the conversation just shifted because what we saw was that they have fantastic global premium media titles. Yeah. And especially focused in the US, the UK and Australia, which mm. are three of our important markets. Um, and we would have access, unique access to those titles um, where we'd work together more strategically. And then they could see that we had expertise in video, uh, in advertising, we could bring the ad technology to help monetize their articles in, immediately on day mm. one. So that was attractive um, that we could help them to monetize their sites. But I think also they really liked the the video expertise and the insight. And that is what made it an interesting conversation. They weren't just looking to buy a, um, you know, a revenue stream. They weren't just looking to buy a tech company. They were looking to buy a company that had a really strong startup culture and that was creative as well as technical. And unique ideas. And as I understand it, you've done a really good job of uh, keeping some level of autonomy and independence from them so you can carry on running your business the way you need to run it. Yeah, well, th- this, this was always part of, yeah. um, of Rebecca's vision. Um, which was when you when you have a, a startup a startup or a scale up uh, coming into the fold, and the last thing you want to do is kill their spirit, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the last thing you want to do is turn them into the same thing as, as everybody else. That you know, news bought us because we were different and because mm. we had that startup vibe of innovative, uh, creative, fearless, not afraid to make mistakes. <laughs> you know, we make many, but we don't really see them as mistakes. We just learn from them. Uh, and try something else. So we've been really lucky to ha- have that autonomy. Yeah, and I guess if you're someone like News International, you get terrified of mistakes because they're all so completely public. So I can understand that it is probably really good for them anyway to separate out the culture and make sure that they're not intertwined in that way. I think it's. I think it. Do, I do think it's hard for any big corporation. Mm. Um, I do too. It's just so public it, because you are so public and with with so much at stake. Uh, and when you're a listed company and you have investors to worry about and everybody's scrutinising every move. And there's only a certain way you can talk yeah, as well. That's very different from being that, being that scale up, yeah. being that um, that challenger brand that's hungry uh, and that, that has less to lose. Uh, and on the contrary, has the most to gain by, um, by being unexpected, by being um, uncorporate yeah. and by breaking the rules.
If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Um, guys, what the original vision was for Unruly and has that changed? So you talked about what Unruly does today. Does it do today what it did in day one? I, you know, to a broader extent, obviously video and culture in general has moved on, but is it pretty much the same fundamentals or have you had to shift it during so time? So it's, um, it's massively evolved over the time, uh, over the last 10 years. Um, it started off really as video analytics um, if I was to say, you know, what its heart was. Yeah. Uh, so we started by tracking video shares across the social web, across the blogosphere, which is where all the, the sharing was, was going on back then, uh, and ranking the most shared videos. Yeah. So we could see which videos were popular. And then over the years, that's evolved. We've, uh, we realised that what brands wanted to do was to be able to spread their own videos online. So I guess 2007, 2008, 2009, there's a big focus on going viral. Uh, and how brands could kickstart global conversations with a video. Um, so we were at the forefront of that. What we mm. managed to do then was disentangle all the different variables. We had so much data on, on the videos that were being widely shared and those that weren't. Um, we could start looking at what it was that made videos go viral, what makes a video shareable. Uh, so we launched um, our, uh, pr- our predictor, uh, Unruly EQ, That's cool. uh, um, which predicts shareability, predicts emotional engagement with ads, um, so do you work with creative agencies at this absolutely. stage? Yeah, you yeah, must do, right? Yes, yeah, yeah creative okay. agencies, media agencies, um, brands so directly. You, so and, then the, and then the other thing that's changed uh, over time is that, um, more of a focus on um, emotional intelligence more broadly. So what we realised was that sharing was just a proxy. 
Mm. Um, and we could see that videos that got shared widely were also successful in other ways. Um, but the secret source there is emotional intention, uh, emotional connection. And the videos that have the strongest emotional connection with the viewers are the ones that are watched for longer. The ones that people go on and share, the ones that people then remember the brand, they're also the ones that drive purchase intent and ultimately sales uplift. Yeah. So I would say that's how the idea has developed over the last decade as we've gathered more data and got more sophisticated. And then there's the outliers of emotional outrage with things like Harambe, which just then become their own entire media landscape in its own right absolutely um, um, and anger is so uh, positive emotions are more likely to be shared than negative ones and with the exception of anger yeah with the, with the exception of like those unique circumstances that yeah. go crazy um uh, sorry go on sorry and the, the other thing um, just thinking about because you're because that's 10 year period it's really interesting to see how things have evolved. yeah um, so our distribution stack, which is the core of our business, is distributing um, those ads. Uh, so the type of publishers that we've worked with has really evolved. So in the early days, it was lots of niche blogs and small passion blogs. We still do work with those titles, mm. but we also work with much larger publishers now. Uh, as we've seen the um, the online media ecosystem evolve, mature, um, we're now so eighty four percent of our views now are delivered on Comscore two fifty sites. Okay, uh, and largely we've we've needed to make that shift to be able to scale the business. Uh, and deliver the volume of views uh, and the reach and engagement the brands are looking for. So in a way, um, I would say that surprises me because I would have just expected it to be the other way where, uh, technically speaking, if you look at an evolution of the media landscape, it's eyeballs distributed across, you know, uh, unique interest titles. So you see across the whole board, you see so many more bloggers, micro bloggers, and these influencer agencies that come up and sweep up all the traffic of them and, distribute it accordingly because people like to find their unique person that speaks to them a bit more than the very national tone of the bigger papers or bigger websites so obviously your facts the facts are just Mm. saying that actually surprised me quite a lot because i would have just expected as you know more millions of micro bloggers so to speak so we look at we work with thousands um, Mm. of micro bloggers um but if, if you've got brands that are looking for massive scale, there's always a trade-off between yeah. um, specificity and scale. Uh, and the brands that we work with often are global brands. They're wanting to run mass campaigns. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, so when, when you talk about the... And also um, you've got a job to do at scale, so it's quite hard to do too many negotiations on, even with networks. Uh, well, the platform that we have so is uh, self-serve, so publishers can oh, come cool. in uh, and, and, p- and pick up themselves. Mm. So we've been able to scale with small publishers. But the funny thing is, you know, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of niche blogs, passion blogs. Uh, I think that's where you really get a lot of engagement. Uh, and that's why we still work with so many of mm. them. Um, but for a lot of the media agencies and the brands, they like the security of a brand name they know. Yeah, that makes um, sense. So for me... Well, no one, I think, I can't remember the famous quote now, maybe you can help me, but it's like no one ever got fired for something like placing a TV ad on ITV primetime, yes. right? As they, in, like, it can't are, go yeah. wrong, and if it did go wrong, you can't really be blamed. Yes, people yeah. like often like to take the safe route, um, but I think you need both, because mm. uh, with some of those big titles, you do get the scale, uh, and and the the brand name, if that's important. Uh, but then with those smaller niche titles, that's where you really get the engagement, yeah. uh, you know, the, the deeper engagement. So I was going to ask you a question around uh, being a first-time entrepreneur mm. and the whole stigma around... Um, you know, the fact that they're often not successful and it does take two or three goes. But then, of course, I discovered Eat My Hamster. So <laughs> tell me about Eat My Hamster. So, what uh, is that? First off, I'm not aware of the stigma. Um, I guess there's always a stigma if you look hard enough. 
so I think and entrepreneurs can come from anywhere, can do anything. Mm. Um, and I would always say to anybody, don't pay too much attention to what people tell you uh, is is the norm. Yeah. Um, because I think it's more. I, to be fair, I think it's more based on statistics on success rates. Simply because if it is your second or third go, you know how not to fuck up a funding round, and you know how <laughs> not to give someone too much yeah. equity when all they did was nothing. You know, yeah. it's very simple mistakes you do yeah. often and make you, first time round. You learn and you practice. Like anything, you get better the more practice. Yes. Yeah. That said, there is something about coming in uh, and being um, and not knowing what to do that I think is quite powerful and mm-hmm. takes you. Uh, it just gives you all kinds of opportunities that you might not have been open to. Just like, you know, working with graduates is like amazing because they're just willing to learn and they yeah. soak everything up with yeah. a sponge. And actually you work with people who've been trained in the same role for mm. 20 years. Getting them to break out of how they think about things is impossible. And in a moving media landscape especially, that I can imagine is really difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but we digress, right, but, eat my hamster. You're absolutely right to mention eat my hamster. Oh, this was so much fun. Good. Uh, so when we started Unruly, yeah. um, we didn't know, as I was saying earlier, we didn't know what we wanted to do. There was no grand vision. I love these um, myths around entrepreneurship that you have a eureka moment uh, or a burning desire to do something specific or a killer idea, I think yeah. is another phrase that gets yeah. used. Uh, we didn't have any of those things. Um, you just we, wanted to be we an just had We had three people who wanted to be building something um, as, and be part of the social web. Yeah. Um, so what we did, well, we didn't, really, we didn't really mind. We just knew we needed to do something. So we thought, well, what do we enjoy doing? Well, we enjoy watching funny videos. <laughs> uh, we, I thought you were going to say we enjoy eating hamsters. Was like, <laughs> <laughs> hamsters, eating hamsters less so. No, my, one of my favourite childhood pets was Hannah the hamster. Okay. <laughs> uh, who I did not eat. Uh, and she was, she was absolutely adorable. Uh, so where is she now? Where is she now? She she died a sorry death. <laughs> but I'm not, well, not going to go into that, and it wasn't, and there was no sure. no culpability. All I'm saying is she doesn't exist anymore, and there's no proof about what did or didn't happen to her. And then Eat My Hamster appeared, so it's not looking good for you. Well, it wasn't called Eat My Hamster, was it? Oh yeah, true, 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 true. Uh, it was a comedy, um, a kind of an aggregated uh, content comedy site. So kind of like dig for comedy, okay. Uh, where people could submit their funny jokes, uh, pictures, videos, uh, and we spent the first three months building this out. It was a great platform. It was it looked beautiful, uh, and the people that came to visit, we uh, we would put some adwords out. We uh, we advertised on Fark and a few other places, Ebabs World, uh, and people who came really loved the site. But it didn't get great traction, and we didn't have time to we didn't have time to wait. Six, nine, twelve, eighteen mm. months. Um, had you had any funding success. at that point, or is it just you no, guys we, took we, messing we, around? We were bootstrapped, so we really yeah. needed to find a business model quite quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we did kill the hamster uh, at that point and decided that it wasn't going to be a viable business model. But what we'd seen was, and this is this is where it's brilliant. You know, you, you make these mistakes. So for, for many it's people, that would be absolutely. We could see that video of all the different content types. Mm. Video was the content type that had most engagement by miles. Yeah, uh, people were uploading the videos, they were sharing them, they were talking about them, they were getting more likes, and on every front, video was the media type that was getting the most attention. So from there, we could, we could also see that it was really hard to find content because we were scouring the web looking for them, looking for jokes, looking for mm. videos, uh, and we thought, well, hang on a minute, why don't we just you know, build a crawler and then we can see very quickly um which videos are the most popular what's hot what's hot now mm. crawl the social web rank those links and that's when we built viralvideochart.com that does make sense and just before um going into uh my next question i guess just thinking about um the general vc landscape and general mm. funding landscape 
uh, does seem to be um, again it's like it's not quite stigma it's more like comments in the ecosystem about ad tech so ad tech is you know at the moment the general consensus is it's done in terms of being a high growth investment opportunity there's people like yourselves there's people like Criteo there's a ton of ad technology companies that have been extremely successful and made a lot of people a lot of money including all the investors but it feels like at the moment people are a bit put off and a bit scared about where the growth of that industry goes because of things out of their control like ad ad blockalypse and all that kind of stuff do you see those threats um as threats for unruly and do you see um those threats in the landscape full stop as in a way an opportunity because it's much harder for new entrants if uh, the general consensus for funding is that's not a hot area we're interested mm-hmm. in at the moment. So um, we've been, as I mentioned, we've been advocating for better ads, better user experiences for the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so no one's better to, you know, push <laughs> so that vision. It, yeah. was, um, it was a really interesting moment when finally the rest of the industry started talking about it. Um, what surprised us was that they were shocked. Mm. Um, we had the shock that people would be installing these ad blockers. Of course they're installing ad blockers. <laughs> yeah. You're piping shitty ads at them, following them around the internet. You're following them around just enough to be creepy, not enough to be actually useful. Mm. Um, showing them content that is irrelevant and poor quality and brings no value to their lives. Mm. Um, so for us, it was a real opportunity to talk to more brands and brands that previously hadn't thought that our mission mattered, who hadn't thought that the quality of um, advertising mattered, um, suddenly were coming to us, wanted to come to our lab. Uh, The Future Video Lab is all about how to future-proof your advertising strategy. Mm. Uh, And it's about having ads with purpose, basically having a company with purpose. Because once you know what your company purpose is and your higher purpose and mission is, then you can start talking with an authentic voice. And then you can feed that through into your marketing. Plus companies Uh, with purpose at the heart of their mission are more profitable. Absolutely. As a fact. And a really interesting report done by Warren Buffett on exactly this. Yes. Yeah. And no one ever discounts yeah. anything that man says. So uh, I think it's 400% more profitable yeah. if you've got purpose at the heart of your business. Yeah. There's other studies, another one um, that have us put out around meaningful brands. If your brand is seen to be meaningful, then you get 54% um, increase in share of wallet. So there, there are lots of stats around that, that tell you it makes good business sense mm. to have a purposeful business. Um, and for us, this was a great opportunity to be able to say to brands, have a purposeful business, have a purposeful marketing campaign, come and work with us and we can make sure that you're creating and distributing ads that are going to engage, not alienate your audiences. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So whilst running on Ruli, um, you also teach a course at Cambridge mm. because I guess running a global empire is a bit boring. So you probably have to teach a course at Cambridge to keep yourself entertained as well. So um it sounds exactly like the kind of thing I don't expect to see at Cambridge yet, exactly the kind of thing that I think universities should focus more on. So I think actually massive kudos to Cambridge for yeah. picking a course like that because my experience of university for anyone that ever asked me is I went to Nottingham, which is a red brick university, and it doesn't teach anything interesting. And actually Nottingham Trent down the road, which is a far less respected university, teaches far more meaningful courses that are going to get people jobs. Yeah. So I massively respect and appreciate uh, any university that's coming up with a time, you know, coming a bit more um, forward-looking and modern with their approach to what actually matters. Now, obviously, uh, your particular core subject is still niche, yeah. but how many jobs want to hire people that have taken like that kind of course? I mean, there must be inundated yeah. the candidates. 
Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's a really fun course to teach. Um, I remember when I went to them and said, you know, what do you think? Um, I'd, I'd done a, I did a one-off seminar um, with um, Professor David Trotter, who was at UCL when I was doing my PhD. Uh, so we knew each other from UCL, a very respected academic and someone who I liked a lot. And he'd asked me to come in and do a one-off seminar. Uh, and I, I did that on YouTube, that was back in 2008. Uh, really enjoyed it and thought to myself at the time we were getting busier we we're starting to recruit people we were looking around thinking where do we find people mm. who are really strong in video culture um, and very smart and open to learning and passionate about video uh, I looked, looked, looked across at Cambridge University and thought well there's a, there's a bunch of really smart people if we had people coming out of Cambridge who, mm. who understood and were passionate about video culture they'd be perfect for our business and then um, David... that's amazing so you literally created the market of graduates that you need to hire <laughs> yes that's genius uh, and we okay. have and we have the most talented highly qualified ad ops team yeah I can imagine as a result yeah of it. I can imagine uh, it's, 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 it's been phenomenal and at the same time it gives me personally and selfishly um, a few weeks each year it's just I only teach for the one term okay. and it gives me a few weeks each year to reflect on what the latest trends are what's happened since this time last year um, what are the trends that are impacting video this year that brands will want to know about next year? And how long does it take to actually prepare material for the course then? So you say it's a term, but that's a time of teaching. Mm. So how long do you have to take to prepare everything? Because everything moves so fast in a year in online media. Online media. It does. So the, um, the way the course is structured is um, it's the, the structure is loose enough to be able to um, not need too much updating each year. So tomorrow's, uh, tomorrow's seminar uh, is on time lords and time lapses. Uh, and it looks at uh, ideas of time within video and what that means, the okay. different um, spatial time. Uh, you've got the, the uh, if you think about the time in the comments that go back all the way back down two, three, four, five, ten years ago. So this kind of asymmetry yeah. uh, of commenting. You've got the time bar along the bottom. You've got you include... time lapse. You've got slow mo. You've got uh, hyper lapse. There's all these different te- video techniques that mess with time. So that's yeah. broad. And then each week we have um, we have a playlist. And um, so whichever theme we're doing, each student brings a video um, to talk about um, that's relevant now. So the videos that we talk about this year will be very different to the ones we talked about last year. I can imagine everyone at Cambridge is really envious of the people that take this course. It's one of those courses that people say, no, you no, you have to be kidding me. It must be really difficult, though, to be like so proud to go to Cambridge and then have to explain to your parents what you're actually doing at Cambridge, because I just don't reckon they'd be on board. Lolitics. Yeah, exactly. People's yeah. uh, parents looking suspicious. 100% of those parents go around and say, my kid's studying politics. <laughs> There's literally no chance that they actually are honest about what their kids are doing. Yeah, I mean, the, the really interesting thing about the course, uh, and, yeah, and as you say, huge kudos to Cambridge for uh, including yeah. it and going with it. It's, it's a very interesting course. It sits within um, the MML faculty, the Medieval and Modern Languages Hilarious. faculty. Um, so it's being taught alongside um, you know, some of the oldest languages. Um, and then here you have um, this very kind of new media. It's, but it's taught as part of the Screen Cultures um, and film, though. Okay. Uh, so it sits alongside TV and film. And in that sense... Do you um, study film natural. at all as part of that? Um, my students do. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know. Okay. I'm too, Not busy. I'm too busy sitting at home watching Grown Ups for the time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, but as someone passionate about building technology and just generally the future, I would suppose, your business has always been mm. predicated on the mm. idea of you having a grasp on the future. Yeah. Um, how do you think VR is going to impact the business and society in general mm. in the near future? So I'm really excited by VR. Um, 
it's got a long way yet until it scales. Uh, but certainly when we're talking to brands, it's an area that they are spending a lot of time exploring. Uh, in terms of branded content, it's the best, the best opportunity the brands have got for immersive experiences and that quality of attention um, that they crave. Uh, VR is potentially um, a much, much more effective way uh, and less intrusive way people are choosing to put on their headsets uh, of reaching people yeah. uh, and getting that quality of attention. No need to shout at people, just create an experience that's awesome and makes them want to be part of it. More broadly, I think it's, it, I agree that it's an empathy machine. Mm. Um, and that's and anything that helps to create empathy can be very powerful. I see it being used by uh, charities. Just as you were talking, I kind of got a vision of like you know how Disney essentially created immersive experiences for its brand with theme parks, yeah. and actually the opportunity with VR is for technologists to work with brands to create immersive experiences in the same kind of realm, but in a virtual realm, obviously, which is a lot cheaper. But as long as it delights and excites, yes. then there's a really big opportunity yeah. to engage. There was um, I was at I was out in the US at a big um, a big alcohol brand uh, their HQ uh, and they were they were showing a VR experience they were letting people experience um, the VR experience of um, drink driving uh, and it was terrifying yeah. um, being a passenger in a car with yeah, someone wow, who had someone who'd had a drink and yeah. then you you are in the car crash and the chair judders uh, and you know, my heart was racing. <laughs> Uh, and I, I can really see it. You can mm. see the power, the visceral power uh, of being among those experiences can be used to excite or delight or fright. Yes. Uh, you know, there are many different ways um, that VR can be used by brands to you know, convey a message. That is cool. Um, what about uh, augmented reality? Mm. Uh, so this clearly has more scale and ought to be ought to be huge. But I don't see brands quite as excited uh, about AR as they are uh, about VR. Isn't your job not to really worry about what um, uh, what ultimately brands think? Isn't your job more to work out what consumers want and how consumers react, and then come up with your own formula for how to make that interesting with brands before brands all fuck it up? So. By that, I mean, brands have already been doing video and advertising and everything else. And I'm really comes along and go, you know, actually, what you're not paying attention to is the medium mm. being online video now rather than just TV where your video used to mm. sit. This is how to do it well, because we're spending time with consumers understanding mm. what works, what doesn't. Same opportunity with AR. Where it's like there is no opportunity for brands to understand how to adapt their media for that experience. But as shown with Pokemon Go, fad or not there's an appetite so isn't it therefore unruly's opportunity and area of interest to work out that and bring it to yeah. brands rather than work out the brand appetite does that so make sense or am it's, i it's, it's up, up at the wrong tree it's both okay um it's really easy for an entrepreneur to tell brands what to do yeah um not always the way to scale a business sure um, what you find is uh there are every and in every industry. Well, I don't know that every industry is the same, but certainly in advertising, um, there'll be some people that are really receptive to that message, um, but they may not be the people that are investing. They mm. may not be the people that hold the marketing budgets. It might be the innovation budget, much smaller <laughs> than the marketing budget. Yeah. So I think it can be. You can you can certainly um, and one of the things that brands do come to us for is precisely this: you know, what's next. Um, but we would never presume and um, to tell brands that we have all the answers sure. uh, and we would also want to be listening to them as well mm. I think the listening part of being an entrepreneur is something that's really overlooked yep. um, it's not about 
telling your customers what they need to know. It's about listening to what they'd like to, to, to learn um, and where they're thinking they're going to go next uh, and helping them on that journey. Yeah. And the name one really uh, very much comes out of this. Um, when we were thinking about what to call the company, we thought, well, what is, you know, what, how do we do, what is the landscape like? How do you define this media landscape? It's unruly. It's messy. Uh, and we recognise that messiness and we're here to yeah. help them. Often named as the Wild West. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no yeah. rules, no regulations. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're originally from Newcastle, but then you moved down to Brighton before mm. studying at Cambridge. So, any unique insights or thoughts about where you're from and your personal um, circumstances and moving around like region to region? Has any of that had a particular impact on you? Have you ever thought about that actively, or is it just whatever? That's where I come from. Do you know the first time that I thought about that was over the summer when. I did an interview with Radio Newcastle. <laughs> oh, he reminded you of your roots. And, and, I, was, and I was thinking... Well, they're probably looking, you know, they've got, they've got Alan Shearer, Cheryl, and now you, yeah. so they're going to claim what they can have. Uh, I think there are a couple of qualities that, 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 um, that Geordies have, uh, and one is friendliness. Um, very friendly, very open. Um, and then the other is grit and tenacity. Yeah. Uh, we're used to the cold weather, we're used to the wind, we're used to things being a little bit difficult and we don't let that stop us. Uh, and I would say that I've carried that with me. And both my parents uh, are Northerners. My mum's a Scouse and my dad's um, from Manchester. Uh, and they, you know, quite, quite a bit strong work ethic. Yeah, they work hard. Vibes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of, that work ethic, not being afraid to work hard, um, expecting things to be difficult, um, but then knowing that you struggle through that and you get through that and, um, and, and you come out at the end of it stronger, I think is very much part of who I am. Okay. So that was obviously more of an interesting question for you. So how is the most boring question you're likely to be asked, which is, what's it like running a business with your husband? Well, you know, what's it like going to work with your best friend every day? Well, that's what I do. I love it. I do that. There you go. What's it like going to work with your best friend every day? I haven't married him yet, but um, great fun. Yeah, really good fun. That's just a certificate. That's a piece of paper. Uh, That doesn't make any difference to the relationship. But we don't have a best friend certificate, so where can (laughs) I get one of those? Uh, What I think is uh, whoever you staff in business with, you need to trust and you need to have um, a good relationship with. Because uh, you're going to be relying on each other so much. Mm. Uh, and there are three co-founders. There's myself, there's Scott, and there's Matt as well. Uh, and the three of us work really well together. We're very complementary. Um, we have different skills and we respect each other. Okay. Um, and that's I think, is the most important thing. So, One of the good things, actually, about, being, about, it, about it being Scott and Scott being my husband, I would, I would say, is it's been, because of that, it's been much easier to bring the kids along on the journey. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and that's actually been huge part of the culture i can imagine yes, like very yeah. central to the culture so having the kids in the office is fantastic yeah. when we when we moved into our new office last week it was actually my youngest sunday who did the welcome video yeah uh, and she'd spent the evening before on the climbing wall and in the park and showing off the special desks and that was you know, it's, it's lovely for her that to be involved nice. so i guess the other boring question would be about being a female entrepreneur mm. so um Slightly different framing for this one. I know you got forty-eight percent of your—is it forty-eight percent of your staff that yeah. are female? Yeah. Um, and how many of them? Forty-six percent of our people managers. Okay, so forty-four percent of our board. Okay, so that's obviously great statistics. Do you feel like um, that's something that should be discussed and pushed forward and encouraged, or are you of the opinion that no, why are we making a big deal out of it? They're just the best people for the job, and their genders are relevant. What kind of side do you sit on mm. for the argument? Um, they are the best people for the job yeah. uh, and they're absolutely awesome uh, at the same time though uh, 
I do believe that diverse businesses perform better, um, they get better results, better business results, and they're, they're more pleasant places to work uh, because you have a mix of opinions, a mix of experiences, uh, and that's just more enriching. That mm. diversity is culturally enriching, I, I believe. Um, so I don't, I don't, it's not something that I think about actively, um, but I do see that there is an imbalance. I do see we need more female role models. Um, do, you see, do you see yourself as a flag bearer? for it or do you just hate that i don't really think about it if i see myself as anything it's a cautionary tale <laughs> okay fair right so uh and modest let's just say but no one ever called themselves modest so i'll just do it for you um so you're famously energetic and you're wearing the converse trainers that you're obviously most famous for have you ever been approached by them as a brand ambassador no no I haven't. that's not really fair is it because everyone always comments on the converse trainers so they do, that's yeah true. But that, very... I was wondering because they—they're because um, I call them Converse All Star, but I can see they're kind of gradually rebranding to Chuck Taylors. They call oh, them yeah. Chuck Taylors in the US, and I wonder if yeah, this yeah. branding is coming to the UK. They probably—they probably shudder every time they hear me talking about Converse because it's like old branding or well, look, something. They've, I don't got, know. they've got the budget to just pay you to say what they want you to say about them, and until they do that, you can say whatever you want. I can say what I want. Um, so you're always running between meetings, you're very energetic, but are you worried about things like burnout at all? Has that ever been on the cards for you? Has it ever been close? This is obviously a very common thing that you do hear from entrepreneurs. Yeah. I, I don't know. I wonder, maybe I've kind of, I've been burnt out since the age of seven <laughs> when I started over committing and doing everything that I possibly could and just getting involved wherever I could. Uh I don't worry about that, no. Um, it doesn't because... seem like the kind of thing that would affect you, but then has it like ever even entered your mind? Because, and the reason I ask is like because um, you know one of the people that I'm interviewing in, in a couple of weeks is someone who's gone through it completely and set up his business based on that called Sanctus, and he had complete burnout, depression, etc. And it catches, and he was like us, super upbeat, energetic, happy, and just happened out of nowhere. And it's just that story really fascinates me in a kind of, you don't know what you don't know. And how do you even prepare for something that you can't see on the horizon? Absolutely. Um, I think that's that's really interesting. Um, and I, my outlook is very positive. Uh, and that's just the way that I operate. Yeah. Uh, and if I spend too much time thinking about what could go wrong, well, depression, yeah. illness, the kids, the business... Yeah, there's so much. There's always so much that could go sure. wrong. Sure. So just prepare uh, for the best. So I hope you know, hope I, I you know, tend to hope for the best uh, and prepare for the best actually. Yeah. Uh, and generally things work out well. And to take uh, awkward and difficult situations and turn them into something amazing. So that's a nice segue into the actual story of how you started with going into entrepreneurship, is it not? So after the seven seven bombings, mm. I read you were particularly caught out in the yeah. whole emotion of the experience yes. and decided that you wanted to make more of your life yeah is that generally the right yeah that is that is oh yeah absolutely um and I was running late um from school running late. I dropped off uh, the kids at school um and was with a couple of other mums and we were racing down to the station and we were back we were all of us late going oh, I can't believe it one was late for one meeting I was late to get to the library I was off to King's Cross which is where I was yeah Russell Square yeah uh, and we arrived at the tube station, went down the stairs, and everyone was being evacuated. And we, it, we there was pandemonium, and it was it wasn't the station where everything was happening, but clearly the whole tube network was, was in right pandemonium. Her, yeah. Uh, so we came back upstairs, and then the helicopters were all around. 
and and I just remember then when I went home, I thought, okay, I'm not going to be able to get, clearly I'm not going to the British Library today. It's not going to be a great day for that. I'm going to go home and see what's going on. Um, and as watching everything unfold and seeing what happened, it's just one of those moments where you realise, so I was really lucky today mm. and, and I'm really glad that I was late for school today and that I wasn't at the wrong station at the wrong time. Um, but 55 people didn't make it home today and being really mindful of that narrow escape. I think when you do have those moments those near miss moments it does make you reevaluate yeah. what your purpose is and what you're doing here and and I just thought to myself if this was my last day is this what I'd want to be doing and I realized actually no I want to be closer to my kids uh, and at the, at the time I was lecturing in Sussex and commuting from Hackney all the way down to Sussex which is mm-hmm. a long commute yeah uh, and I used to break my heart every week when I dropped I would drop Ezra at nursery on my way uh, to catch the train I'd drop him on a Tuesday morning wouldn't see him until a Thursday night mm. uh, and I just I, I, it was, I could physically barely manage that uh, and then at the same time being an academic I enjoyed it you know it was my teaching is a bit of a, a vocation for me and research is my passion I'm yeah. so curious yeah. um, but I could see that moving up the academic ladder just meant more admin uh, and maybe a, a slightly bigger office with more filing cabinets in it <laughs> No, fair. And, and, and you know what's amazing is that out of that moment of uh, terror, fear um, and perspective, you, you know, a few years later, 300 people who rely on their families, living, salaries, etc. Thanks to your decision to do something meaningful. So that's quite an amazing fact, um, you know, to think about you've actually created 300 jobs from that moment and turned it into something amazing and I, and I love the way you didn't just say 300 jobs you said 300 families yeah it is because I think that's that's really key yeah uh, and whenever we think about people they're not employees there's well, livelihood of course they're people and, mm. and there are families that, that come with that people and, the, and it's just it's I think it's so important one of our, our big things I'm really is remembering that we're you know we're, we're not just we're not workers we're mm. We're fathers, we're mothers, we're daughters, we're sisters, we're brothers, we're best friends. And one of the big things when we've built on really is creating a company and a culture where you can be yourself yeah. and you can be your the same self you are at home as you are at work. And um, bring your boyfriend and your boyfriend's parents or your cousin's parents or your second cousin's aunts to yeah. come in and visit and sit and have now, coffee. Now it sounds like you've got an Amish workforce. <laughs> now it's starting to sound a little bit, uh, no, a little bit different. Do you know what? It's amazing when people bring in people to look at, when people bring in family or yeah. friends yeah. or friends of family to come and have a look around the office mm. uh, and just to come in and have a cup of coffee. That's always one of the, my, my favourite moments. Uh, they all have uh, giant beards, eating straw and dungarees. <laughs> generally not. No, okay. <laughs> That was that, that was my that, take on the second cousins, but maybe that was just cousins marrying cousins. I don't know how I quite got into that that I visual. Don't, I, I don't know how you went there. No, I don't know. <laughs> just it, it happened. Anyway, so <laughs> moving on, how would you describe yourself in in a sentence or two? Mm. Horrible question, right? On purpose. Um, it's quite as you've been the whole yeah. time. It's horrible. <laughs> How would I describe myself? Um, muddling along and five minutes late. That's <laughs> probably how I describe Interesting. myself. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, as most I'll of make, us do. <laughs> sure, I'll make this a bit easier for you. We asked one of your uh, colleagues, DW, which is, of mm. course, a pseudonym which is now wasted because you know exactly who DW is. But anyway, um, and we asked him what he thought of you, and he basically said, I would describe Sarah as inspirational, driven, full of energy, charismatic. Full of energy again, restless and funny. 
Did I mention energetic and full of energy? I think he obviously thinks you <laughs> might drink a lot of coffee. Um, and as proof, Sarah did walk into this interview with a coffee and I'd preempted and bought her a coffee and she's been having both during the entire time. So yeah, she obviously likes coffee. So actually maybe we can just distill it all down to one word, which is caffeinated. Yeah, caffeinated. Yeah, exactly. Um, and when asked if you've, uh, how you've been throughout the whole journey, said that you've been the same as you've always been. Very passionate about Unruly and the people who work here. Very driven to succeed. Nothing has changed about that and it will always be the case. I don't think I've ever seen her just relax and call it a day. She always wants to move on to the next task, the next objective, the next event. It's like she always wants to squeeze in as much of her day as possible. I think that sounds fair. That does sound fair. Yeah, sound, yeah. sound like someone you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so just coming on to the, uh, the end, do you think you have a healthy work-life balance? I get the feeling you don't really think there is a difference, but what would you say to the question? Yeah. Um, I love what I do, so it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Um, and it's just your life. It's this, this, this is, this is, this is my life. And it's important to me that the kids can come too, um, and that the kids have a great time. And I see, I think more about work-life integration rather Mm. than work-life balance. I think it's important to be able to work, uh, and to be at home with your family and not to feel torn between the two. Yeah. Um, for me, being an entrepreneur enabled me to do that because it gave me control yeah. and autonomy. And sure, you can say control it's to auto- create your own culture where other people yes. can fit into yes. that lifestyle yeah. choice as well. And that's been one of the huge advantages of having my own business is being able to build a culture. It's such a privilege to build that culture yeah. where everybody feels they can come in, be themselves, and not need to worry. Uh, about how the rest of their life fits into their work life. That's nice. Something that DW didn't didn't doesn't know, of course, is that I um, that I sleep a lot <laughs> uh, and I sleep like a baby. Oh, really? Uh, and I think that for people who say, you know, "Where does your energy come from?" Um, it, it, Balance. It, it and comes rest. from nine hours sleep a night. Yeah. <laughs> and there probably aren't that many people that get eight or nine hours. No, sleep there's a, a lot. Night. That is a lot. Um, but I love sleeping. Yeah, you know, amazing. when you've worked really hard all day uh, and you feel that you've achieved a lot and you get the kids off to bed. And there's nothing better than just lying down on a soft mattress and a soft pillow uh, and, and curling up and, and, and going the, out like a light. <laughs> all the way until your alarm pisses you off in the morning. Um, okay, so the last section is on lessons, failures, and really ideally stopping other people making them. Um, so what major mistakes have you made that you hope others avoid? The mistakes that I've made are have been the most important and helpful parts of the whole journey mm. is one thing I would say yeah. so eat my hamster we talked about you could say that was a mistake that did not work out but we learned so much even viral video chart didn't work out wasn't a business model yeah. really interesting site collected lots of great data but wasn't a viable business model in its own right but taught us so much and we learned from that okay and um, so learning from the mistakes is key one tip I would say so um, a mistake would be never to learn from your mistakes yes yeah. oh. <laughs> too meta <laughs> too meta for me this time of the day um, one thing I do think is a hiring uh, and not taking references is always a mistake. Oh, interesting. Um, and sometimes in the full f- and the, the exciting uh, full flush of getting someone across the line that you want to come work for you, you forget um, to do the basics, to go back and talk to their bosses and find out what they were like. Um, and if maybe their bosses don't talk to you, you think, oh, well, maybe they're too busy. Um, I would say to any entrepreneur, when you're hiring people, you know, hire, hire carefully, choose carefully, um, do take the time to take the references, mm. um, because you'll live to regret it if you don't. And you'll be the next person maybe delivering the bad reference. 
Yeah, that's very good advice. And alarm bell's going off in my head right now about the times I haven't done that. So mm-hmm. very good point. Um, have you got any funny or maybe non-funny stories of a huge mistake that you've actually made, um, made in your journey that you felt like, you know, it was the end of the world at the time, but actually, obviously, looking back, whatever, you can laugh about it and move on. It's not such a big deal. Have there ever been any of those things? Uh, oh, many. <laughs> always ending up in embarrassing situations and being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, uh, the one of Actually, one of the early mistakes that I remember making that did, um, at the time, feel like the end of the world uh, was when we were just setting out and we had maybe a couple of hundred publishers and I was responsible for paying the publishers and I was putting the PayPal pay run through and I'd made some mistake with it uh, and then I got totally freaked out and I... Uh, emailed all the publishers to say sorry no there's been a mistake totally my bad um i'll get, get it sorted yeah. but, but it, rather than bcc'd them i cc'd them so then suddenly i had everybody on a cc pinging me back going well cheers for that now mm-hmm. now you've shared my details with everybody and that was that i guess well that's 10 years ago now uh and it was the it was just the first time that i'd been responsible for making payments yeah, and it's funny though because you've got used to it still sits with you you yes. still remember it, and it was ten years yeah. ago. It was a very, it was a very early moment, and it was my first big stomach churning moment yeah. uh, when I'd done a stupid thing, and then compounded it by doing another stupid thing. Uh, but then, there's a, then I guess what I realised quite early on was, uh, if you worry too much about those those moments, then you don't you, know, you don't keep moving forward fast enough. Sure. So, what mistakes do you see people making that um, annoy you? As it, or that you want to call out or you want to help to kind of mould them and stop them from doing that? The most common, I don't know if it's a mistake, but the most common trait I see in a lot of entrepreneurs in the early days is they're very precious about their idea. Spot on. Yeah. Uh, you can't tell anyone about it. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. stealth. It's very secret. And yeah. someone is definitely going to steal it if they tell anybody. Um, and I think ideas are overrated. Uh, it's, all in the execution it is in the execution uh, it's 99% execution mm. perspiration um, and only 1% in the in the, you know, the genius of the idea the thing I say to people when they're re- and I had this two weeks ago someone wouldn't tell me their idea they wanted help and I was just like it's quite frustrating I won't get annoyed with you because I do understand that happens a lot but do you know how hard it is to run any business even if it's a coffee shop like if you're not 100% behind the idea and willing to give it everything, mm-hmm. it's not going to succeed. So no one wants to rip it off because it's not that exciting <laughs> to rip off someone else's idea and then give 110% to it. Like that's actually quite an unlikely scenario. Yeah. So if it's all in the execution and it's your idea, you're going to be able to do it better than them anyway. And it's quite liberating when you recognise that because then you stop worrying and being so anxious about what you can't say. Yeah. You realise that you, 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 know, you can tell people your idea... And if they, even if they try and rip it off, as you say, it's probably not going to be that great no. because it's in the execution and you're in control of that. Well, the one really key thing about sharing your idea with other people is it opens doors. Yes. So if you don't tell someone what your idea is, how can they how go, can they oh, help? I know John yeah. who'd be amazing yeah. for you to talk to. He's done something just like this. And yeah. you close off all the serendipity yeah. of your own idea and your own opportunity. Um, so yeah, I massively agree with you. Right, I re- once read that you hate the question, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? So you're obviously going <laughs> to hate this question. You've already on me again. <laughs> you're going to hate this question. But what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, that advice is overrated. Very good. Right, moving on. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to get a serious one out of you anyway. Um, but what advice would you give to people starting up in today's climate? 
So thinking about where entrepreneurship is today, and it's obviously in um, yeah, in an amazing, uh, prominent position, really. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that has crept up. When you started, it certainly wasn't the thing. Uh, fast forward 10 years, 2016, 2017, amazing time to be an entrepreneur in terms of support yeah. and, uh, and visibility. Yes. So what would your and advice structure as well? There's so there's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. Mm. Uh, you can get started so quickly building a site, amplifying on social the servers on the cloud, everything. It's just yeah. so straightforward. And yeah. um, what that means is there's um, more emphasis than ever before on creating a brand and building a brand uh, because that's how you will differentiate. Mm. Um, so I would say increasingly it's harder to differentiate by technology alone um, and it's uh, it's more important than ever before uh, as people are building businesses to build the brand and build the brand loyalty. Yeah, the uh, and that's what will, will help to differentiate you. Uh, my, my, my overall advice would be just do it yeah. and, and learn by doing. Uh, the other thing I see um, in entrepreneurs who are just starting out is there's a lot of anxiety about doing anything is this the right thing to do? Is this the right thing to do now? Should I be doing it here? Should I be doing it with these people? Should I be doing it on this server? Just just do something. Uh, do something and then you can start learning. And the more you do, the more you learn. You'll learn what those mistakes are. So that would be my, my big advice. Okay, I like it. Uh, final question. So who inspires you? Who do you look up to? So you've mentioned Martha Lane Fox. Mm. Anyone else on like a grander scale? It tends to be the people around me that inspire me mm. and I think this is I think this has always been the case in, in my life it's been teachers parents friends um, the unruly's that I work with now are incredible and they push me yeah uh, they push me to be better to do more and I see them and I see the work they do and that I find that really inspirational other entrepreneurs other peers I'm I'm not a big believer in um, looking at unachievable figures. Um, I'm sure Sheryl Sandberg is incredible and amazing and inspirational. Um, but really, it's the people that sit next to me at work that I look to for inspiration. Sure. Uh, because I see, I see ordinary people doing extraordinary things, being extraordinary, and that is really inspirational. Mm. And it feels achievable and relatable. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess it gives you a sense of pride as well because you pick them well. Right, you, you've you've chosen great people to work around that yeah. then make you feel uh, happier to yeah. be in their company every day, it's, and I guess inspire you to be better. There is nothing better than going to work with a bunch of awesome people and yeah. doing impossible things together, and yeah. finding that what you thought was impossible actually is possible yeah. if you all work together, if you know what you're doing, uh, you're learning from your mistakes as you go along, having a laugh as you go along. I think humour is so um, underrated uh, as an entrepreneurial yep. quality. Uh, being able to laugh. Uh, and not take yourself too seriously. Laugh. Uh, there we go. She's from Newcastle. Because <laughs> you, you don't sound like a northerner. But there no. we go. We got one in the end. Um, okay, last question. So are you unruly till you die, unruly for life? Or are you going to potentially do something after unruly? Is there like any point where you think, this might not be what I do forever? Um, or has it never crossed your mind? Unruly forever. Yeah. Um, and I think everybody who comes through unruly is forever unruly yeah um there's something very special about the company um mm. that that does instill a loyalty even when people move on to do other things and exciting things whether it's starting up their own business whether it's traveling overseas uh, there's always a little bit of unruly uh in, in everybody when they move on so i hope you enjoyed that interview with sarah and um i guess for anyone that listens um or is listening to these podcasts and thinking about the entrepreneurship sector in the uk 
um, following that sort of stereotype of a whole load of young hipster kids in Shoreditch just uh, with their laptops trying to start companies. Sarah is uh, evidence. Yeah, the epitome and evidence that that's not quite the case. Uh, She has started um, a hugely successful international company, which she sold for a lot of money. And um, and she still probably wants to work there every single day. She's not all about the exit. She's very, very much passionate about staying there and building on a culture that uh, she's obviously extremely proud of. You know, they've got kids running around their office all over the place. It's very much a family kind of environment. But it is a technology company. At the end of the day, it is technology. It is media. Um, but I think it goes very much against the grain of what you'd expect a stereotype to be. So... For anyone thinking about the type of company they want to build and the kind of culture they want to have, I think you could do very well to take a leaf out of Sarah's book. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Now, next week, we have the last, the, one. The last episode. The last episode. It will be episode 15 of our 15-part series one of The Secret Lives of Leaders. And we have um, someone who makes other people's dreams happen with a checkbook. So um, we have the very interesting, very charming uh, Jedi VC, because he is obsessed with Star Wars, Mr. Simon Cook of Draper Esprit. I seem to remember I've seen him wearing Star Wars stuff before as well. Yeah, we've also seen him wearing Iron Man stuff. He he went to his latest party, the Draper Esprit um, uh, party, uh, as Iron Man. And, um, you know, he looked moderately yes. serious so anyway tell us about dfj so um well no i won't take, i won't go too much into the story of dfj and draper esprit but um the draper brand is basically the oldest brand of venture capital in the world very and very famous and um if you tune in next week you'll learn a little bit about how not quite don draper <laughs> but you know you've ruined it now Sorry. but you'll you'll tune in next week and you'll find out um a lot actually, a lot about how the world of funding and startups really works from um, the first VC fund owner in the UK to IPO his fund. So Simon, very controversially, very uniquely in the UK, um, has a public company that is a venture capital fund. So find out all about that next week. And in the meantime, Rich, one more time. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, SoundCloud and you can find us on YouTube all our past episodes are on secretleaders.com along with a little bit of show notes on each one and you can also email us at hello at secretleaders.com so until then we'll see you next week bye bye